SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of the Conference USA podcast on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, today, diving into the signing classes in CUSA West for 2022. Uh, definitely going to be fun to kind of go through some of these uh, recruits that are, are coming back. And uh, spoiler alert, UTSA and UAB are going to be really good again. <laughs> so, uh, you know, also excited to see, uh, you know, what North Texas does in a pivotal year. Southern Miss uh, has some really fascinating recruits as well. So it should be a fun conversation. But Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you again. Uh, Eric, how are you feeling today, bud? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling okay. Uh, I've, I've had better uh, better starts to my day, you know, my uh, my afternoon. Definitely a, a little lethargic after, you know, drinking at uh, at this point in time in my life and, and realizing that just can't can't do it like the way I used to back in college. But uh, I am I'm here. I'm fully functional. Ready to talk a little uh, CUSA West. <laughs> can I ask what? Can I ask what you were drinking on last night that that led to the lethargy today? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, man. Um, met up with a with a friend of mine who's who's uh, from the the Midwest, and um, you know when people from the Midwest when they move to like different parts of the country, they, they bring their Midwesternness with them that midwestern charm <laughs> so uh in, in the span of uh two hours i had uh and and you're talking to someone who uh is i'm a casual like social drinker but I, I do not drink like five days a week like i used to when i was in college so i had a pickleback a loaded corona uh, uh tito's and sprite and a car bomb so so yeah very much uh <laughs> the midwest all rolled into one L- listen as a midwesterner myself not gonna judge the pickleback Tito's, uh, Tito's and Sprite, sure. Uh, the car bomb, I'm going to judge a little bit for. <laughs> uh, I don't know what a loaded Corona is, if I'm being honest. I am so, okay. I am surprised that, that you know, so did not realize that the, I think the loaded Corona is a specifically like a Southern, I mean, Southern, I mean, Florida thing. Uh, it is, uh, depending on where you get it from, it is either a, uh, a Corona with either vodka or with uh, rum. So you uh you take depending on where you go, some places will take a a um can of Corona and just kind of you know dump out a little bit. Uh, I'd say about like not even a quarter, um, and then fill that back up with your your uh your spirit of choice. Or some places will do the bottle. Um, the bottle they'll dump out you know again like not even a quarter, like maybe half of a quarter. Uh, and then fill it with your spirit of choice, and then you know you, you give it the one over, flip it once, so that everything's uh, shaken up in there, and then uh, you have at it. You know what? Given like Corona tastes not bad, I might have to actually try that if I ever go someplace warm. That's that's a warm weather beverage. For it, sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. You're not trying to drink loaded Coronas when it's like 40 out. You know, it, it's uh, it's very much a. Uh, um, I this is a deep pull here um, uh-huh. for anyone you know South Florida. It's a. If you are at Elbow Room on, you know, Las Olas <laughs> on a on a Saturday afternoon in Fort Lauderdale Beach, uh, you're absolutely drinking loaded Corona. Nice. Oh man, I I'm a little tired myself. My my wife and I went to uh, went to a little concert last night. Great thing about Portland, Oregon, there's live music literally every night. It's awesome. Um, but before the show, we we ducked into uh, a little place uh, over on MLK in Portland called uh, Billy Ray's Dive, and uh, just 
didn't get too crazy uh, until the actual show, but it was it was funny going to this dive bar in Portland because it, we went at about seven o'clock. And for those that know, seven o'clock is when Jeopardy airs. <laughs> so <laughs> last night it was it was very funny because you walk in and they had two basketball games on on TV and they had the jukebox playing some like old school country and then it hits seven o'clock and this big dude in the corner and says, Jeremy, seven o'clock. And he says, Oh, Oh crap. And then turns one of the TVs in the middle of the bar to jeopardy and puts the sound on. (laughs) And, (laughs) and people are like yelling out the answers, like trying to get it. And I was like, what? And it was just, it was very funny being in a dive bar with a lot of people in camo arguing with each other over jeopardy answers. And I was like, this is a very unique experience like even for even for portland oregon i've, I've never seen that before <laughs> i was gonna say that's what i'd expect out of portland all right i mean especially you know if, if it's assuming it was the uh uh mayan bialik uh hosted jeopardy so yeah i mean that's kind of what i'd expect i was gonna say it was during a blazer game but g- given the state of the portland trail blazers <laughs> right now that doesn't really mean a lot does it much rather watch jeopardy than watch the portland trail blazers right now. <laughs> I, I will have to go back to that bar and see if this is just like a weekly thing they do or if they were just super into Mayim Bialik hosting last night. <laughs> but anyway, all right, let's 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 talk about UTSA with the number two recruiting class in Conference USA. Um, a few really nice pickups for Jeff Trailer in this class, namely uh, from Coffeyville Community College, Zaquan Frazier, number two safety out of the JUCO ranks uh, this year, three-star guy, six foot four. That's a that's a big guy for a safety. So they definitely needed that. Um, the DB depth is one thing that UTSA is definitely losing a little bit of this season. So that's a great pickup for them. Um, I think I talked about it on Twitter back when he originally made that commitment a few weeks ago. But and then also in terms of the the transfer world, you also got Jared Sackett coming back to UTSA, which is super interesting. A three-star kicker was at UTSA originally, then transferred to South Florida and now is back at UTSA. Uh, also got offensive tackle uh, Payne Hebert coming in from Northwestern, a uh, wide receiver in, in Chris Carpenter, who is a, a speedy guy at, at 5'11", 170, transferring in from Colorado. But all in all, I think you have to be really happy with what this staff was able to do, considering the pieces that they're losing, but they do have a lot coming back next year as well. Before we get to, you know, some of the, the major players, and as you mentioned with Zakon Frazier and, you know, the other guys, uh, a lot of, as you would expect from a Jeff Trailer recruiting class, Heavy Texas, Jace Wilson from Denton, that's, you know, right there in North Texas territory. Joe, we got to talk Jared Sackett for a second. I mean, the curious journey. I don't think anyone has had a more interesting journey in college football maybe than jared sackett who started his career as you mentioned at utsa was a freshman all-american his freshman year at utsa transfers after his sophomore year uh you left out a stop he transferred to arkansas actually didn't see any playing time that's right yeah didn't see any playing time at arkansas then transfers to south florida uh wins the job at usf and ends up being replaced and by all intents and purposes, he was never a bad kicker. Even his sophomore year, I know his numbers dipped to something like 77% um, uh, made field goals. And the same thing at USF. I think he had five of seven in his USF career, but now ends up back at UTSA. And Joe, just to put like 
the cherry on top. We're talking about someone who was a Texan, right, from Keller, Texas. Jared Sackett, freshman All-American, leaves after his sophomore year. Hunter Duplessis is the kind of, is the is the kicker who replaces him, right? Hunter Duplessis goes on to have a very good UTSA career, only only to be replaced by the guy who he replaced. Is that not just epitomize college football right now with the portal and and whatnot? You rarely hear of stories like this in college sports of of teams who or players rather, who transfer back to the school that they originally started their college career at. There, there was one other instance of this, I, I think, in this cycle in college football. I'm, I'm blanking on it. I, I can't, gosh, I can't. Northwestern was involved somehow. Yeah, yeah no, there's, there's two. I, I can, I can, you know, this is why we're a team here, Joe. There's two, actually. So uh-huh. you're thinking of a Hunter, Hunter Johnson going back to, uh, to Clemson from um, Northwestern, but also. Oh, OK, ben, yeah. But also Ben Bryant who was at Cincy, had a nice year starting this year at Eastern Michigan, and went back to Cincy now with Desmond Ritter leaving. And that's another situation kind of similar to Sackett, where Ben Bryant lost a job to Ritter, or didn't lose the job, lost the quarterback competition to Ritter, and then now goes back to replace Ritter. Same thing. I mean, I just think it's just hilarious how Jared Sackett, you know, the guy who he hosted on his recruiting trip and, and, and you know, replaced him, had to fill his shoes. Now Jared Sackett has to fill the shoes of Hunter Duplessis, who was a damn good kicker. But it's like, yeah, he came in to replace you. So that's just, uh, uh, you know, kind of very uh, interesting. But quickly to talk about the rest of the recruiting class, as you mentioned, uh, it's what you'd expect from Jeff Trailer. The the thing that really stands out to me is they were really able to parlay the success of this year into a solid recruiting class. And that, in my mind, was the key. We knew that when, you know, Frank Wilson was there at UTSA, he never had any issues recruiting. And we've talked about that ad nauseum with Frank Harris's and, you know, Sincere McCormick's and Rashad Wisdom's and players who were, quite frankly, the nucleus of this, you know, 10-win team here for UTSA. But the fact that Jeff Trailer has been able to turn those players into results on the field and now translate that into success in recruiting. Again, you know, clearly you can tell by their route, heavy high school, heavy JUCO, um, or a few JUCO guys didn't get the transfer portal as much, but they're just looking to retain that talent around the uh, – the San Antonio area there. The uh, And I, I messed up the area code last time I did this. So I'm going to make sure I get it just for Jared Kalmitz and company. The 210 area code there in San Antonio. What did you say last time? Uh, I don't remember. I said, I, I believe, you know what? Greg Luca, who is the uh, beat writer there from um, the publication in San Antonio. Uh, I think I said a Connecticut uh, area code. So let's just say I was far off. It was not Bexar County. <laughs> it's on the side of their helmets, man. Come on. No, 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 dude, dude, right. no, no, anyway. Joe, Joe, this was before this year. Okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, being right. in a no, – oh, if, if San Antonio wants the air code to be known, go, like, do something like Miami, man. Have rappers shout it out, 305. That's – you don't have to be from South Florida to know this area code, okay? Like, use one of those Texas – overrated Texas rappers, shout out y'all area code. <laughs> I mean, Jeff Trail is trying, you know. I feel like every time he, he, he gets in front of a microphone, he does the 210, baby, in that, there like – There we go, yeah, yeah. You know. See? in that like discount store Ed Orgeron kind of voice he has. Uh, <laughs> but, oh man, I, I love Jeff Traylor though. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of recruiting, having access to East Texas, like you really, you can't go wrong in theory. Like that is that is a gold mine of talent. And real quick, just because it's going to bug me if I don't mention it, 
Um, the only other time I've really heard of a player transferring back was actually in basketball with Akoya Gao. Played his first, his, his first two years at Louisville, uh, transferred to Georgetown, then transferred to SMU, and then transferred back to Louisville. <laughs> so, like, that, like, this man spent, like, seven years in college. It was crazy. All right, we'll move on and uh, talk about the UAB Blazers, number four class in the league. Several key names here, I think, for them. Uh, first one out of the JUCO ranks, you got JV and Gill from Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. 6'6", 260 defensive lineman, uh, number three defensive lineman out of the JUCO ranks this season. Uh, I think he's going to fit in well with uh, you know the culture that UAB's defense has really uh, established for themselves the last couple of years. I think he'll fit in great. You know, in, in terms of other big names from the transfer ranks, uh, you got Jackson Bratton at linebacker coming in from Alabama. Uh, and you got quarterback Jacob Zeno coming in from Baylor, the former four-star guy. That is that is a big one for them. Uh, 6'2", 188, uh, picking up where uh, Tyler Johnston left off as he transfers. Uh, still got Dylan Hopkins, too, So, but I, I fully expect uh, Zeno to compete. Uh, for the starting job as well. I, I think it's going to be an interesting year to see how UAB responds to last season because I know they were not happy with not winning the division. Yeah, Joe, I'm going to pick it up right there where you left off in terms of the quarterback situation. I was really interested to see what UAB would do just because, you know, as we've talked about, they've had veteran guys going back from A.J. Erdley, you know, Tyler Johnson, now Dylan Hopkins, et cetera. So I really wanted to see if they were going to make a move in the portal, which they did with Jacob Zeno, former Four-star recruit, began his career with Baylor, uh, didn't see much time, but he's got a few years of eligibility left. So like you mentioned, definitely expect him to come in and compete for a role. And also want to see if they're going to get a young guy. And they did. Trey Miles from Georgia, from Snellville, Georgia, uh, three-star recruit, had a chance to look at his film. Seems to be a promising kid, but definitely someone who, you know, is not going to be a factor immediately. But I want to see if Bill Clark was going to be able to bring in some younger quarterbacks and develop for the future on that route. And then also, you know, some guys, again, uh, looking here at Dallas Payne from Northeast Mississippi Community College, Bloomville, Mississippi, a three-star recruit, 6'3", 210. Uh, it fits that mold, that size of those UAB receivers, right? Guys who are uh, on the bigger side can get down the field and make some plays, you know, especially looking to stretch the field and Bryant and Vincent's offense. You know, that's what they're looking to do. So definitely interested to see again uh, for Bill Clark and the Blazers. As you mentioned, they're looking to get back and win the West, and that starts in recruiting and this is I don't know how you felt, Joe, but this is kind of what I would um, expect from a class in UAB. Right. You know, I, I, it's not that um, I think 247 has them ranked fourth in CUSA. It, that's right about what I would expect. Right. Like it wouldn't shock me or I guess I, I'll rephrase that. I would have been shocked if I saw Bill Clark with the number one recruiting class, just because I think, you know, by virtue of guys like Charles Huff and some of the other uh, places being, you know, in more fertile recruiting uh, area, not necessarily that Marshall's in a fertile recruiting area as opposed to Alabama, but the ties that Huff has. And then with Jeff Trailer being in Texas, right? So I kind of expect those guys to be, those guys to be near the top, but I don't ever expect a Bill Clark class to be lower than fourth or fifth in CUSA. No, I think uh, Bill Clark's track record kind of speaks to that. A uh, couple other quick notes about this class. Uh, you got Damon Stewart out of East Mississippi Community College in Scuba. Uh, number one JUCO quarterback in this class. So uh, only a two-star 
but I'd be I'd be shocked if he wasn't at least in the mix uh, come you know spring ball and fall camp. And then uh, you also got Zayas Perriman coming in from from Scuba and in, in East Mississippi Community College, decent running back, uh, number eight running back in the JUCO class this year. You know, given the the depth that UAB likes to have at that position, um, wouldn't surprise me if he also got some meaningful snaps this year. So we'll see. Uh, and then let's move on to North Texas, number nine class in the league. Uh, big year for Seth Luttrell coming up, obviously, the way that they finished this past season. Um, encouraging and, you know, being able to kind of pick up the pieces after a pretty disastrous start. But I think the big name in this class for North Texas is Cam Robertson. Uh, coming out of Plano, edge guy, 6'4", 230, uh, fantastic athlete. Uh, in the top 1,000 for recruits, he's number 907, specifically uh, number 131 recruit in the state of Texas. I ex- expect him to be uh, a big part of what North Texas does in the next few seasons, um, at least in theory. Uh, you know, they gotta they got to pick up the pieces quickly, um, in my opinion, in terms of <laughs> what they've done the last couple of years. The next player I think that's uh, important to keep an eye on for North Texas is uh, J.D. Head, transferring in from uh, Louisiana Tech. I think he'll he'll contend for the starting job as well. But yeah, what are your thoughts on this North Texas class, Eric? Yeah, I, when I take a look at the class, in terms of the high schools, it's, again, what you'd expect from Texas, right? You'd expect to see definitely the things that I look for, Joe, when you know, you're kind of assessing a recruiting class. I mean, of course, you want to have X amount of, you know, kids is is three star four stars many of those as you can right but also um just winning your area which clearly you know i guess in this case when you get a cam robinson from plano you can get kids from dallas and denison and humble fort worth sugarland dallas doesn't get that at you know their top five six recruits i'd expect all to be from a 90 minute to two hour radius of the dfw metroplex it's the same thing when looking at you know, FIU and FAU, you expect your top five, six, seven, eight recruits to be from uh, a two, three hour radius of South Florida and, and others, right? Especially when you're in a Florida, a Texas and, and elsewhere, right? So uh, definitely look for that. But in terms of the names that I think are going to make an impact, you mentioned JD Head, and I definitely think that is a big time win, A, because JD Head was going to compete for the starting job at Louisiana Tech. So not only are you getting someone from a division rival, but you're also getting someone who was going to compete for their starting job and looked fairly well in the time he got last year, going to compete with uh, Austin Ani in um, North Texas. But Joe, in my mind, the number one player to take a look at for a team that has struggled defensively mightily over the past few years. Yes, they did come on towards the end of last year, but especially on the back end. Zahodri Jackson, Joe, from Utah State. This guy has been a two-year starter, but has played for the bulk of his career at Utah State. Um, I believe seven, seven pass breakups, three interceptions, over 100 tackles. Uh, someone who's a very solid tackler can be that nickel cornerback for you, which is a very key spot in today's college football. So definitely keep an eye on him. He made my list of top 10 transfers into CUSA. And then another last name that's going to be tough here. So we got Nicholas. Nick Hawassa. And if I butchered that, Nick, I am sorry, but he is coming in from Central Arkansas, which has been a very good program at the FCS level over the past few years. Joe, I know you know the Bears very well because they, uh, you know, gave uh, the uh, 
old tops, you know, some troubles uh, a few years back. But you know, another kid, yeah, see, I, I hear that deep sigh from you. Lawan Winningham, you will never forget that name, a receiver who I think caught 600 yards worth of, of receiving yards against uh, the tops in Bowling Green. But uh, in terms of uh, Nakawasa here coming in for North Texas, a safety at 6-1-190. Joe, what I like, the, the thing that I, I, I really enjoy watching for some of these transfers, and I don't know if, you, if this is something you've noticed as well, um, the ones who come from smaller schools who transfer up and they've exceeded their high school ranking, right? So it's a Hodry Jackson, someone who was a two-star recruit uh, heading to Utah State, now is a solid three-star transfer player. Same thing with Nakawasa, who went the FCS route. So if those two guys can come in and give them, you know, instant success, instant um, contribution, the secondary, that'd be huge for Seth Latrell. Let's stay in the state of Texas and talk about UTEP, number 13 class in the league. And you know, we know Dana Dimmel knows how to work those JUCO connections and did that to a fair extent this year as well. In addition to bringing in uh, Kobe Hilton at safety from Louisiana, uh, brings in several uh, important JUCO guys as well. Um, so a lot of them are no stars, but that's not exactly uh, uncommon for how UTEP does things and how Dana Dimmel does things specifically. But do you want to mention this offensive tackle that they brought in from Long Beach City College in, in Long Beach, California? Aluma Nikele, 6'8", 390. That's a big boy. So <laughs> hopefully that uh, – and then um, that that's going to be a big part of what they do. Uh, obviously kind of further establishing that that run game as well as uh, keeping their, their quarterback protected in the pocket. I think he's going to be a big part of what they do. Um, and I, I don't, and one other guy, I don't see him getting a ton of minutes immediately, but keep an eye on, on Jake McNamara out of Franklin, Tennessee over the next couple of years. Uh, pretty, pretty decent quarterback, despite being, I don't know. I don't want to say he's like 5'11", 185 is like small for like a regular person, but for the quarterback position, that's not huge. No, sure. Of course. Uh, uh, fun fact here, Joe, I, I want to ask you kind of a trivia question. Uh, you talk about uh, Aluma Nikele coming in at being 6'8", 390 from Long Beach City College in Gardena. Uh, coming out of high school, he went to uh, Junipero, or, and I was, was going to mispronounce this, but I believe it's, called, it's pronounced uh, Junipero Serra High School. Um, do you happen to know who's the most famous alum from uh, that high school by any chance? Couldn't even begin to venture a guess. One Tom Brady. So uh, that is certainly the uh, most illustrious alum from that high. Uh, only mention that because, uh, you know, anyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm going to always place an emphasis on kids who come from, you know, really uh, powerhouse programs in high school. And for one reason or another, sometimes those kids get lost in the shuffle um, because they play behind. I'll give an example. FIU signed uh, a defensive tackle last year who his recruitment really slowed down. And, and you wonder, like, man, how did this kid Savion Collins end up at FIU? Well, when he was playing on a D line, which the other three kids went power five, <laughs> sometimes that uh that could affect your recruitment, right? You know, play teams wonder, uh, were you the guy or are you the byproduct of being the guy? And that sometimes that could be the case here with a kid who is again at six eight three ninety. It's kind of hard to imagine. Let's let's just pretend he was six six three sixty coming out of uh, high school that uh he didn't make his way somewhere coming out of high school but definitely someone to keep an eye on on the offensive line joe I, i'm curious your thoughts and yes you did mention that for dana dimmel and utep this is what they do right a lot of their recruiting class tends to be somewhat unheralded and that's been you know kind of their mo especially to hit the the juco ranks heavy since uh dana dimmel's been there right 
any level of disappointment in the fact that they weren't able to just by the numbers uh, muster up a, a more highly touted recruiting class. And, and that's with the caveat that, again, you know, we've talked about places like San Antonio and places like North Texas. El Paso, obviously, is a different area of Texas, right? You're talking about right there on that New Mexico border. So uh, not quite the same fertile recruiting ground, but just curious your thoughts. A a any level of disappointment that you think coming off of this level of success, you know, this year that, uh, uh, you know, just again, just by the numbers that they'd be able to get a, um, a more highly touted recruiting class? I mean, a little bit. I mean, it's not that. I'm necessarily like hugely disappointed in the numbers. There's just not a ton of names here that uh, I think a lot of folks in like the West Texas, East New Mexico area can really get excited about. I think when you look at like the fact that you have Gavin Hardison and uh, Dion Hankins on this team, both um, like Hankins is from El Paso, Hardison's from uh, Hobbs, New Mexico, I believe. Uh, Mexico. That's a, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That is a like, that's, easy for UTEP to continue to build a fan excitement. And that really hasn't been there the, the last couple of years. So I think it's, it's tougher to get people excited about um, fans. Anyway, it's tougher to get fans excited about uh, community college guys who come in and like, you know, understandably so treated as like another stop uh, on their way to, you know, going where they want to go, which is probably pro football in some regard. Uh, but I mean, I'm not knocking Dana Dimmel for having um, great connections within the JUCO realm and that's and utilizing those to build his roster. But part of me wonders how sustainable that is, you know? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I think at a certain point you will have to eventually recruit the high schools because, you know, you're you, just by the balance of your roster, you're going to have to, you can front load the roster, but you're going to have to backfill it. So I think that'll be interesting. And I also think you tipped in a different situation now, in my mind, hopefully, than, than they were when Dana Dimmel came in. When, when Dana Dimmel came in, it was a lot like the FIU situation where they needed to just infuse talent immediately, get guys who could play so that, you know, they weren't putting kids out there who, quite frankly, weren't ready. Now, you know, they, they've won a little bit, and you'd like to think that they can probably hit the high school ranks a little bit uh, harder. But again, we'll see. You know, the the miners certainly surprised some people this year with their success, so we'll see what uh, what they're able to do and, you know, what part the, the JUCO players play in their success in 2022. Who knows? Maybe we'll see them follow up their uh, first bowl appearance in like eight years with uh, another one. That'd be something to see. Let's move on to talk about Rice and the number 10 recruiting class in Conference USA. Um, you never see anything super exciting in Rice's recruiting class for, for multiple reasons. But worth noting, uh, understandable to be excited about Isaiah Esdale, wide receiver coming in from West Virginia, uh, was a decent part of, uh, of, of their offensive attack there, even though West Virginia, you know, they, they had their moments. I'm not going to, not going to talk bad about them. Um, you also get a good kicker in Tim Horn from Washington, three-star guy um, in the recruiting class and uh, Sam Crawford, the wide receiver from Texas. That uh, that's a good one as well, or wide receiver from Tulsa, I should say, not Texas, but from the high school ranks, uh, you got Ross and McNeil. He's their highest rated guy. Uh, number 123 recruit in the state of Georgia. Uh, and he's playing wide receiver. So, like, I, I don't know. There's not too much in this recruiting class that I'm super excited about, and that's that's not great considering, you know, the the sentiment towards Mike Bloomgren at this point in time. Well, I mean, I, I guess it depends on how you look at it, because for me, in my mind, Sam Crawford is the guy. I mean, you're talking about someone who was second in the team or second on, on the team in Tulsa uh, with, you know, the 60 catches for about 800 yards as a, as a true sophomore and was a veteran receiver started, th uh, 
believe started three years. I know he in total racked up something like a hundred and what 120 get grabs here for over 1700 yards and 10 touchdowns. If you can get, and again, I'm not saying that he has to come in and be, you know, Brad Rosner, or Austin Trammell, but it's a matter of if you can put together, because I guess this is the way I look at it, Joe, seemingly this is the first year where Rice isn't having to go find a quarterback. What would you, would you agree with that? Given, you know, Luke McCaffrey and, um, now, come on. I always forget his name when I need to um, came in from um, uh, uh, Weber State um, McNamara. Uh, the fact that you have you have two quarterbacks on the roster. In, in theory, this is the first offseason for, for Bloomgren that you would say they're not searching for the quarterback. Would you agree with that? I mean, they're, they're definitely not searching for a quarterback. I have serious doubts about both those guys in terms of just how good they are. <laughs> but I mean, it, it helps that they have a, a really solid weapon now. Okay, and 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 listen, you know we can debate. And I, I said McNamara. I was thinking I got the school right, but wrong, uh, wrong um, player. McNamara was a kid who was there two years ago. Jake Constantine is the kid I was thinking about from a uh, Weber State. And of course, they have Luke McCaffrey. In my mind, I, I just I like the fact that they're able to go find some playmakers to put around them. So with Sam Crawford Jr. Uh, him coming in, and in my mind, if he can come in at least be a number one or number two option, someone you can pair with Jake Bailey, you know, because you're getting him back, and he was a surprise in my mind. Everyone came into this year looking at, you know, to see, you know, would you get Brad Rosner back? And of course, once he transferred out, Jake Bailey really stepped up, you know, I think had something like what 56 catches for 700 yards. You get Cedric Patterson, the third back as well. So if you can pair, uh, uh, and I believe Patterson should be back. I know he was a grad student, um, uh, I believe from Texas A&M, but nevertheless, my point is if you can at least have a one, two punch on the outside, in my mind, that was the biggest win of this recruiting class. So uh, maybe I'm not, you know, as down on it per se as as, as others because I think it, here's here's the, the fact of the matter, right? Uh, I think your last point kind of summed it up. If Mike Bloomgren doesn't get six wins this year anyway, it, you know, we're probably having a different discussion this time next year. So you need to go get some impact players now. It, it might not necessarily be about you know <laughs> signing a, a heavy recruiting class out of high school that's going to you know do X or Y. You're going to need. Uh, three or four guys that can come in and maybe win you some games immediately. Did you have a chance to watch this guy, Miguel Cedeno, from American Heritage in Fort Lauderdale at all? That's part of this Rice class as an offensive tackle? Yes, yes. American Heritage, another um, blue blood, big time program here in uh, in South Florida. Yes, 6'7", 295. Um, and again, Heritage is a school that, you know, this is what's interesting, Joe. Offensive linemen in terms of trying to recruit them in Florida is always interesting because uh, not to derail this entire podcast, but put it to you this way. Um, and this is not going to shock you by the stretch of the imagination. In Florida, high school coaches are not full time coaches, right? Like that even goes for the head coach, you know? So the level of coaching you're going to get if you're recruiting a lineman out of Texas or Alabama or Georgia is much different than you would get coming out of Florida. However, with Cedeno coming out of American heritage, that's a private school. So, you know, the level of coaching is better, definitely a well-rounded kid, someone who I'm pretty sure was recruited by both FAU and FIU. So yes, I am familiar with, with him uh, very well. Nice. So that's, that could be uh, an important piece for rice as well. That seems to be the case nationwide in terms of, of coaches, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're part-time employees. Basically, I mean, that's that's just kind of how it works, uh, unfortunately. But uh, there's there's a deeper discussion there about the education system in America that honestly, probably neither of us are really qualified for. But we'll have that off air. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about Louisiana Tech. Uh, number five class 
in Conference USA this season, first season under and first class under uh, Sonny Cumbie, new head coach, uh, following the departure of Skip Holtz. Um, highest rated recruit in this class, uh, DeAnthony Gatson, running back out of Newton, Texas, 5'10, 198 pounds, three star guy. Uh, in the top 600 in terms of recruits, number 43 running back in the nation and number 77 recruit in the state of Texas. You got to be a good player to be uh, top 100 in the state of Texas for sure. But also have a lot of Louisiana kids that I think are going to you know be immediate impact guys, um, and, namely at corner Jamal Shelby out of uh, St. Augustine High School in New Orleans. Uh, 6'2", tall for a corner. I like what I've seen out of him. Um, and then from the transfers, um, you got wide receiver Devontae Lee, a four-star guy from LSU coming in. I think he is going to be uh, another immediate impact guy that's going to really help elevate them uh, if they can figure out what they're doing at quarterback. Um, Isaac Ellis on the offensive line coming in from Memphis. Uh, I believe he can place uh, center or guard which is always good to have versatility. Um, and then linebacker Hugh Davis from Boston College, another three-star guy there. Yeah, I, I think they've done a decent job of plugging the holes that they needed to. I mean, I think the primary concern for that team remains quarterback, but we'll see what Sonny Cumbie can get done in uh, in the remaining offseason here. Joe, I think you got to start with Gadsden. Let's not you know short sell him. We're talking about someone who was a USC commit and committed to USC over Texas and had offers from Colorado as well. And this is what I love about those high school running backs in Texas. The numbers are just so crazy. You know, all he did as a starter was rush for 5,500 yards and 80 touchdowns. <laughs> you know, he ran for 2,000 yards as a junior with 30 touchdowns. So I, I just light love work. light work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, light work, light work. Like, I just love, I love those numbers. You know, uh, I, I remember, I think Deion Hankins had something similar, right? Where he rushed for like 91 touchdowns in his career. It's just insane. So I think you really got to start there. Uh, Jamal Shelby, certainly another interesting kid as well. But I think, Joe, when talking about Sonny Cumbie coming in to quickly turn around and get two three-star receivers, um, and to, to actually three, excuse me, but the top two here in Kelshawn Jackson, o, Orion James, are guys who those, again, you know, high three-star, borderline four-star guys, uh, both out of Louisiana, you know Sonny Cumbie's going to look to put the ball in the air. You know he's going to have an, a, a dynamic up-tempo offense. Uh, you know, receivers, you know, having a, a signal caller is going to be a big part of that. Obviously having you know, a running back like Dandy Katz is going to be a part of that. So just interested overall to see how his, you know, again, it's year one. So we'll see how things shake out in terms of transfers. Miles Brooks from Stephen F. Austin Joe is someone who uh, just missed out um, on making my my uh, top 10 list in terms of uh, transfers was a three-year starter at Stephen F. Austin, a very good player. And then Devontae Lee, Joe, is someone from LSU, a former four-star recruit who, if you look at his 247, he was talked about as being a dynamic, freaky type of athlete, but just for whatever reason could not crack the lineup there in Baton Rouge, and he will make the trip to Ruston. Uh, if he has a chance to come in and be, you know, like the transfer receivers we've seen, like uh, Adrian Hardy, you know, guys like that who have uh, – uh, had success in Rustin, that could be big as well. So definitely want to keep an eye on that. And then Isaac Ellis, the last one who played very well at Memphis, getting him down to Rustin as well. Yeah, anytime you have a first-year head coach, it's going to be fascinating to see how that first class performs. But based on you know everything, it seems like Sonny Cumbie had, did a really nice job working with, uh, you know, not as short as we've seen in the history of college football sometimes, but with a shorter uh, timetable than than most, I think to turn around a recruiting class. I'm 
I think he did a pretty nice job. Um, and then let's let's wrap up this episode by talking about Southern Miss, and I think they have one of the most surprising recruiting classes in this uh, in this cycle. Number three class in all of CUSA, pretty deep class too. I, at least twenty kids in this class um, had ten. Tra- well, close to closer to thirty actually. Ten transfers alone. Um, a lot of them coming in from Mississippi State and Old Miss, uh, which we talked a little bit about uh, in the previous episode. I think they have like nine. Yeah, nine of these transfers are coming from SEC schools, and only ones from from Arkansas. The uh, the rest are from Mississippi State and Old Miss. So clearly, you know, Will Hall is uh, taking that responsibility very seriously of trying to get them into you know I don't want to say win now mode, but compete now mode. Um, and then when you talk about some of the other kids in this class, uh, Latrell Jones at a Pearl River Community College in Mississippi, uh, three-star wide receiver, number three Juco wide receiver in this class, Claybron Pollard, uh, offensive tackle out of Oak Grove right there in Hattiesburg. He stays home, uh, 6'4", 290 guy. There's plenty of reason to be optimistic about the talent that's in this class. It's just a matter of, <laughs> I mean, you know how quickly they can gel with uh, some of the other key pieces like Frank Gore Jr. And can they stay healthy? That's That's been the most upsetting part about Southern Miss um, the last like three seasons has been the the unfortunate luck with uh, running into, um, you know, injuries and, and COVID illnesses and things like that. Yeah, and we've talked about this. I think the most interesting thing, and I think it's played a part, quite frankly, in this recruiting class is, they're starting from scratch again with the quarterback spot, right? You know, between Trey Lowe and all the guys who were injured last year, they didn't really have a chance to develop that guy. So they're really starting from scratch and they have guys on roster, which meant for, you know, Will Hall and company, they're able to focus on other spots, right? You know, and I think the main spot that you see them focus on, yes, while they did sign a quarterback, uh, Zach Wilkie out of Hernando, Mississippi, when you give up as many sacks as Southern Miss did last year, it's no coincidence that, you know, looking at three of their top 10 recruits, offensive linemen, you know, Will Saxton from Benton Academy, Mississippi, a three-star uh, interior offensive lineman, Cameron Barnes from not just Mississippi, 6'5", 300, interior offensive lineman, Clabron uh, Pollard, hopefully I'm pronouncing the first name right. He is the second highest uh, recruit in this class. Uh, three-star recruit out of Hattiesburg, right? Hometown kid from Oak Grove High. So you definitely think in terms of Southern Miss, they're going to try to fortify that offensive line. And then when you take a look, you talk about some of the guys coming in. I I did think it's interesting, as you mentioned, most of them coming from Power 5 schools in Mississippi. So that's pretty interesting, right? You know, that's a nice little selling point that, you know, I'm sure the the folks in Hattiesburg will say, yeah, you know, we got a couple of kids from Oxford, a couple of kids from uh, Starkville, got them coming down there this way. You look at Calvin McMillan, a uh, three-star tackle, someone who didn't see a ton of time at Mississippi State, but I think he, again, is going to have an opportunity to really contribute on the offensive line, Bryce Ramsey as well. So uh, in my mind, just how well and how able they're able to uh, fortify the offensive line will obviously help keep their quarterbacks upright, but also that run game as well with Frank Gore Jr., the superback. You know, towards the end of the season, Will Hall talked about how they were actively trying to get um, a quarterback to transfer in in this cycle. Does it bother you that they didn't get a transfer quarterback? Not not really, just because, I mean, I guess I'm high on, I mean, I, anyone who was this podcast knows I was high on Trey Lowe, 
but I, I don't think you necessarily know what you have, right? I mean, just given again, Joe, the, their leading passer last year passed was what, like seven hundred yards? If memory serves me correct, I mean, it couldn't have been any higher than that. So I and they played what five quarterbacks? I, I covered that final game of the year in which they didn't. They chose or the fi- the final two and a half games a year. If memory serves me correct, they didn't play. Uh, I think it was the last two and a half. They didn't play a quarterback, but I covered the last game. You know, when FIU went there, they. They went with Frank Gore Jr. and Tavis Willis. So again, whether it's Ty Keys, Jake Lang, of course, Jake Lang wears number 24. So that's a, I know that's up your alley, a quarterback who's not wearing a one through 19. Um, <laughs> you know, Trey Lowe, T. Webb, Joe, there's no way you can know what you have when, you know, Jake Lang is 137 pass attempts, right? Um, you know, you, you got 42 from Trey Lowe. So in my mind, it, I understand wanting one to come in for the sake of competition, but it doesn't bother me too much that they didn't um, get one because you still got to figure out what the heck you have from last year's team, in my mind. It almost feels like Southern Miss, like when they're not practicing, they need to keep their quarterbacks in like cryogenic chambers or something. Like you just keep them away from anything that could potentially injure them, get them sick, anything. Because it's, well, as much fun as, like the the super back brand of football is you you can't keep that up long term. But at the same time, like what are the what are the chances realistically that all five of their quarterbacks get hurt again in twenty twenty two? I I I am more than sure that uh that that yeah. well you know whatever I don't want to speak anything to existence. But if if that were the case, I would be then then Will Hall he, he wouldn't be able to call himself the biggest fraud in, in the history of you know Southern Miss football. He'd be you know the biggest like curse in the history of Southern Miss football if he's getting that many quarterbacks hurt again. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it At that point, it would be – I don't know if you get this reference. At that point, Will Hall would be old Gil from The Simpsons like, ah, jeez, why does this always happen to me? <laughs> no, I absolutely get that one, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that rounds out CUSA West. But, uh, again, UTSA and UAB are going to be really good. Um, intrigued by what we're going to see out of, of Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech. And I think North Texas has has some interesting pieces in that class as well. Uh, but we will talk to you all real soon. Thank you so much for, for tuning in. Um, if you haven't already, go back and check out the CUSA East preview that we uh, also did. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then, of course, at Underdog Dynasty um, for more G5 football content uh, every day, hopefully. Um, and subscribe on iTunes. Leave a comment. Help the show grow. That'd be nice. Uh, happy football, everybody. We'll talk to you very soon. 